The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 18, Episode 42. This is Writing Excuses, creating magic outside of a system. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Mary Robinette. I'm Dong Lun. I'm Aaron. And I'm Howard. And I am so excited to talk about magic outside of magic systems, which is one of my favorite things to play with as a writer. Uh, two of the stories that I had uh, y'all read uh, were had magical elements in them. I mean, the wolf men are not real that I know of. Um, conjure men actually are real, but that's a type of folk magic that's very different than the way that we think about magic a lot of times where it's like you say Alakazam and something happens. Mm-hmm. And what I really enjoy about these is that I think sometimes we think we have to come up with rules in order for magic to work. But I would say that we really don't. And I have a theory as to how we can determine the type of magic that we're using in our worlds. But before I do that, you, Mary Robinette, I keep thinking about you because you actually have worked in a magic that has more of a system. And I'm curious, like, do you like it? Do you not like it? How do you feel about it? Um, so so I I hmm, this is hard because I, I don't agree with your central premise and oh. I agree with your central premise simultaneously. Love it. Um, so I don't think that you need to do any building ahead of time on a magic system. I think you can just dive in and let things happen. Um, and which is actually the way I did that with the glamorous histories. I dove in, I let things happen. And then I was like, well, you better not let that happen because now you've accidentally invented telephone. Let's roll that back. Um, so I, I found the magic system as I went. And, but then I also made some very deliberate decisions about it. I've also written stories that are much more in the fairy tale mode of magic system where it's just like magic things happen and there's not. But here's where I disagree with it. Humans are pattern-seeking creatures, and we will make a magic system out of everything, which is why, like, you know, what is what is the one magic spell that works perfectly for hiding something in the real world? You put it someplace safe. And what is the counter spell for that? 
you buy a duplicate. And everybody knows this spell, right? Um, we, we, we make systems. Uh, if you walk away from the bus stop, the bus is going to come. So you say that Wolfie Things doesn't have a magic system, but it 100% has a magic system. The Wolfsbane is a magic system. It's just not... It's just not the the kind of thing where you sit down and you you turn it into. I think when when people think about magic system, they think about something that you can then turn into basically an RPG. Yeah, and I think that I think that's exactly it. When I think magic systems, I think things with rules that can be codified easily and always work the same way. And one of the reasons that I often push back, there are two rules that I was taught about writing magic, neither of which I like for my own writing. One is that magic always has to have a cost. Um, a personal cost mm-hmm. is often the way that it is described. And yeah. I mean, I guess I understand where it comes from because magic can't just be unlimited. It's a like, desire to hook magic into the logic of capitalism, though. Yeah. It's a desire to work magic into an imperialist, possessive, extractive mode of thinking that I think is sometimes very fun. I love playing Dungeons and Dragons, which is absolutely in that mode. But also there are other ways to think about the numinous and the magical that I think can be rule-based and consistency-based, but aren't necessarily highly systematized in a hierarchical way. And again, Nikki pays a cost for gathering the wolfsbane. He talks in the beginning about the, the prickles and the stings of gathering it. Like there is a cost there, whether or not it's a monetary or economic cost. And it's not and, and I agree that it doesn't necessarily have to be there, but but there is if we think of it, if we think of it as an effort that there is that there is some something that is something happens there's some sort of exchange one of the things where i'm going to push back on is consistency consistency right? yes there can be cost but what one character pays in one moment versus what another character pays in another moment doesn't always have to be the same, right? So I think about this in terms of studio ghibli movies, right? So there is consequence and cost if you eat the food then you end up turning into a giant pig, right? There's a certain logic to that, certain cost to that. But what one character experiences won't always be the same as what the next character experiences, even that, though there's an underlying logic to it, right? That is, And so I think when we're talking about systems, for me at least, that's kind of like where I start to push back on the idea of like, this has to be systematized in a concrete way. But I also understand what you're saying, that there's an underlying logic to how these things work. Yeah, and and also, I mean, in the real world, when you're looking at systems, people do not pay the same costs under exactly, any... Exactly, yeah. So, so that's why I'm like, I, I understand, but I think that whether or not you intend it, the, the reader is going to find a system, and the characters will find a system, that, that, that systemizing will happen. I'm going to push back a little bit. I'm sorry to keep pushing no, back. No, no, this, this but, is. You know, I, I do think Aaron West, and I are having a great. Time. <laughs> I think a Western reader will want a kind of rigor and system to it that is different from what readers from other cultures might. Right? Sure. Yes. I think. I think. I just want to be cautious about generalizing too much. I think the experience of an American reader or European reader tends to be slightly different from an experience of a reader who's coming from a different culture and has different expectations of what the logic and implied costs and consequence of magic could be in that world. Well, and if about, I can address the technological yeah. elephant in the room, uh, Aaron, you began by saying, you know, two of these stories have magic in them and one of them doesn't. I'm sorry, the technology to remove, transfer, manipulate, bank, not bank, memories might as well be magic. It is a technology and you may have technological rules and costs associated with it, but the story does nothing to explore that beyond the most 
superficial level, it could just as easily been have been a wizard did it. And what I this actually gets to one of the things about costs that I find really interesting, which is mm-hmm. a, a slight pivot from what we've been talking about. But I think a lot of times um, fantasy stories tend to personalize cost. Mm-hmm. Um, it yeah. is your finger, your yeah. soul, your whatever, your blood. And technology stories tend to make the cost more like the way we think of cost. Electricity has a cost, yep. but it's a bill, not like my soul. You know what right. I mean? Like ultimately that cost changes. And there are some people who can't pay their electric bill and have to deal with the consequences of that. But I think some of the desire to make fantasy really individual, a lot of times bloodline oriented in a weird way, mm-hmm. like inherited, makes the cost really like about the actual person wielding it and not the systemic cost. Cause like there's something going on, the memory tech is very magical, but it is something that is run by a company outside of the individual people. Mm-hmm. And the choices they're making are how to use that system, not that they have to create it themselves or sacrifice part of themselves other than their morals in order to do something with it. Yeah, and I, I completely agree with all of that. And I, I think as as we're talking, something that that is uh, clarifying in my mind is that part of the reason that we say um, magic, I, I suspect that part of the reason the magic must have a cost arose as a a, a, a rule um, is is because uh, what we're really saying is that for your protagonist to succeed, they must exert effort, yeah. and uh, and that frequently people were doing things where it was like, and now we do magic. <laughs> and, I think it's 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 less about the magic having a cost and more about the character's choices having consequences. Yes. Right. And so when Nikki's picking the berries, he is facing a cost, but that cost is his choice to engage in this act of hunting, in this act of violence. And he's giving blood to do that. Mm-hmm. I think that's the part of it that is so interesting to me, more than necessarily like magic works in a certain way. Yeah. You know? One of the things, going back to what your thing about electricity, is that I will often tell people, like, electricity is a spell that does one thing, and we figured out how to do a lot of really interesting things with this one spell. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I also think a lot about folk magic, and I thought a lot because I did a lot of research into folk magic in working on Snake Season, and, like, the Conjure Man has all these different potions and things, and... Do they work? Do they not work? It's I love not, the bag. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's not clear. And I think that's true of a lot of folk magic. Um, I was talking to someone the other day who said, like, does it work to paint your house paint blue so that mm-hmm. the spirits don't come in? And it's like, well, who's going to not paint their house that? Like, mm-hmm. you don't want to be the one person that paints your house green and now a spirit's in you. Like, and so we believe, and sometimes the belief in something is its own magic. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't actually have to work. If you paint your house blue and a ghost gets in anyway, you just figure you did something wrong with that, but you don't have to codify it. It's not like, I didn't mix the paint correctly and do the right spell. It's more like, oh, well, I guess something happened and oh, well, they got in another way. Like, mm-hmm. I'll have to deal with those consequences. And I think that is where you see cultural differences. The idea that like ghosts are real, that there's just kind of magic around us that is beyond our understanding, beyond our control, is something that I find really interesting because then it just becomes a force on the story as opposed to something that is being exerted by the protagonist within the story. Well, it lets you draw on a cultural component in a really interesting way, right? So the fact that everyone paints the roof of their porch a particular shade of blue is a regional cultural thing. It is also superstition. It is also part of maybe a magic system of sorts, but it's also, it's a, it's a people saying, this is who we are. We are people who paint our porches this color, right? And I think that is where folk magic intersects with narrative in ways that I find really rich and exciting and fun. Yeah. 
And we're going to take a break and we come back. I have a daft theory to propose and I want to see what you think of it. Hey, writers. Are you thinking about learning a new language? I think exploring the world, experiencing other cultures, and being able to communicate with people outside your everyday experience lets you create richer, better stories. A great way to do that is with Rosetta Stone, a trusted expert for over 30 years with millions of users in 25 languages offered. They use an immersive technique which leads to fast language acquisition. It's an intuitive process that helps you really learn to speak, listen, and most of all, think in the language you're trying to learn. They also feature true accent speech recognition technology that gives you feedback on your pronunciation. It's like having a voice coach in your home. Learn at home or on the go with a desktop and mobile app that let you download and access lessons even when you're offline. And it's an amazing value. A lifetime membership gives you access to all 25 languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, Japanese, and, of course, Korean. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Writing Excuses listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I recently read a short story collection called The World Wasn't Ready for You by Justin C. Key, and I was blown away by this. Uh, it's his debut collection. Um, it, like, from the very first page, I was like, oh, this guy knows how to tell a story. Each story feels different. And also, warning, they are hard. Like, this is, this is, this is heavy stuff. Uh, the, the way the publisher described it was Black Mirror meets Get Out. 
Um, so you're dealing with science fiction and horror and fantasy to examine issues of race and class and prejudice. It's fantastic. I highly recommend this. The World Wasn't Ready for You by Justin C. Key. Okay, I promised a theory, and here it is. Uh, you I promised a daft theory. A daft theory. It's I'm a daft here theory. for the daft. I was thinking about how do we think, like, if you're creating magic, if you want to make magic systemic or otherwise, how do you decide how magic works within your world? And I started thinking about the acronym SMART that people always tell you to use for goal setting, that your goal should be specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and time-based. And I decided that each of those could be a scale to think about magic. Ooh. So is your magic specific, as in like it does one thing, or is it general, you know? Hmm. Is it measurable, like you can actually, and sort of controllable in that way? Or is it more kind of broad? Is it is it attainable by certain people or by everyone, or can only certain people wield it? Is it realistic or does it just do gonzo wild <laughs> stuff that you wouldn't expect? And is it time-based or is it always available to you? Hmm. And so this was my random theory. I'm curious. Does any of that make sense? What oh do you think about God, it? Oh my God, I yeah, love it so I'm much. I'm so excited <laughs> by <laughs> this. I'm like, it makes melting. sense and I'm, I'm going to need, let's see, what was the T for? Time-based? I'm going to need yeah. a big time-based spell in order to unpack it. One of the thoughts that I had about the the magic, uh, and I, in in Wolfie in particular, you know, we talk about the wolfsbane as something that will you know work for killing the wolf. Real specific. Um, yeah, it was it was it was specific, but uh, the effort that needs to be put in by the protagonist in order to kill the wolf that way has nothing to do with the wolfsbane and everything to do with coaxing using things that are available to all of us the wolf up to the edge of the pit and then pushing using tools that are available to all of us the wolf into the pit and then let the magic do its thing and that aspect you know when you've got a magic where the try fail cycle is not focused on the magic because you don't want to have to build all those rules you have the try fail cycle around can I get the wolf up to the edge of the pit and push mm -hmm. it in and then let the magic do the rest? Uh, it's a very simple, it seems very simple to me anyway, a very simple toolbox for taking non-rule-based, non-systemic, non-gamified magic and working it into the familiar and useful structure of a try-fail cycle. Like as you were talking, Howard, I was I was going back to the uh, to the smart and, and I'm like, yep, specific. It does this thing, measurable, yet wolf is dead, accessible, anyone can grab it. And then I was like, what was R? What was R? <laughs> realistic. Realistic. Is it yeah. realistic? That's to give space for like gonzo magic. Like, yeah, so, totally, totally. Like, is it like, you know, the wolf falls in and turns into like, you know, a balloons? Like, yeah. there yeah. is like that sort of surrealist way of approaching mm -hmm. magic where it never does. Very dream logic. Yeah, like, exactly. It doesn't do what you think. It does something, but it doesn't do what you would expect it to do. And it probably isn't very repeatable, which is another thing that R sometimes stands oh, for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that because the next time you do it, it might lead to a completely different effect, mm -hmm. which makes it harder for you to like wield it as a tool because every time you're sort of taking a chance that it yeah. will do that the was, thing you wish it would. That was in uh, uh, Ian Banks' uh, Against a Dark Background. The MacGuffin is a weapon called the Lazy Gun. And all we know about the Lazy Gun is whatever you're pointing it at, uh, when you pull the trigger, it's going to die. And for small targets, it might be 
a teleportal opens above it and jaws come down and chomp them. <laughs> totally gonzo. Uh, for large, the larger the target tends to be is, the more likely it is that you're just going to get a boring explosion. And I loved that magic system. And the whole story, once they get their hands on the gun, has nothing to do with how the gun works and everything to do with hanging onto it long enough to point it at something. So I guess my question for you is, you know, Sour Milk Girls has a very specific, let's call it a magic system, quote unquote, uh, that is systematized, that has hierarchy, has all these consequences, right? It fits most of the categories of smart in those ways. Um, and then Snake Season definitely does not. Like, for you, when you're making those choices of what kind of magic system you want in this story, when do you want something hierarchical and, and rigorous, and when do you want something that's more fluid and numinous? Oh, that's interesting. I I think that I... The more it feels technological to me, the more I want to put rules on mm-hmm. it because yeah. mm-hmm. that's just, um, I assume that technology has rules in a way mm-hmm. that I'd never assume that magic does. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the more, the closer it comes to tech, the more I think about it that way. Um, and I think it also comes down to like, what is the premise of the story? So in many ways, when I came up with um, Snake Season, the premise was, you know, what if this, what if there's a woman living on the bayou whose kids are messed up? Uh, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Which has nothing to do with magic. Mm-hmm. But then the bayou and that culture is had so much magic infused into it that it like kind of leaked into the story. Like, even if mm-hmm. I didn't mean for it to be there, it did. It was. Something I find, this is a complete aside, very interesting about folk magic of sort of the bayou, New Orleans, all of that area, is that it actually mixes like traditional folk magic with Catholicism Mm -hmm. in a really interesting way. And Catholicism is very rule bound and folk magic is very not. Mm -hmm. And I found something really interesting in that and maybe a parallel to the ways in which, you know, Marie's trying to figure out like where she fits within the rules of something she doesn't fully understand. So I think the the thing that, uh, sorry, my brain is exploding over here. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I think that, that circling back, Taking that and then circling back to what you said, that the more it feels like tech, the more it feels like a system. I think what you're actually getting at is the more mainstream it is, the more it has been monetized and become a technological system than, than something that is where, where it is all self-taught. And, and so the, in the self-teaching of it, you know, the, the, the non-rule bound, that's where it's like, well, yeah, I do it this way. In the same way that when you're looking at art, it's like, well, you have to have perspective, you have to have this. And then you see folk artists, you see outsider artists who are mm-hmm. not doing it that way at all, who are exploring totally different things. I mean, you see this around like uh, a tarot and arcana, mm-hmm. right? Like the, the massive industry that surrounds that at this point in terms of, you know, specific interpretations, specific yeah. things, things like that. So, yeah. If you look at our understanding of uh, weather, uh, climate, um, and ecology in like the 12th century. There are cycles of the moon. There are, and you know, our passage around the sun. There are tides. There are seasons. But they don't always align. And it's difficult to tell why. Moss grows on the north sides of trees. What is it about the windward and the leeward side of mountains? We didn't have an understanding of the water cycle, you know, of, of where rain comes from. And we obviously didn't have satellites to predict thunderstorms. But we had this magnificent experience of a thunderstorm rolling in from nowhere and doing things that 
in the context of the 12th century, whoever, uh, is a huge force that did it come from the moon? Did it come from the things we did? What did it have to do with the, the trees and the mountains and whatever else? And so I look at that and I map that onto how would I build a magic system where maybe it has rules, but I don't need to understand them. I just need to roll the storm in. And in truth, I think we take comfort in the idea that we can understand it all in a way that is not true. Yep. Um, I keep thinking about, like, I can't think of a very specific example right now, but there are cases where uh, there'll be a village that relies on folk magic, and they're like, we are eating this thing or doing this thing, and it has this effect. And people will come in and be like, that makes no sense. It doesn't fit in. We can't codify it. We can't understand it. Stop doing that. And then there will be some tragic consequence. And then later they'll be like, oh, it turned out that actually you eating that mushroom did inoculate you against the thing we didn't realize was happening around you. Because there's this idea that we have to be able to put something in a box in order for it to make sense to us. And I think part of that is the pattern-seeking nature of humanity. But I think the fact that those patterns have to be kind of in written form or really measurable form in order for them to work for us is kind of the capitalism impulse. And it's why, yeah. yep. for me, the more technological something is, the more systemic it feels like it needs to be, like the more systematized it feels like it needs to be, because I associate it with needing, with capitalism. And I think capitalism like abhors a vacuum yeah. and uncertainty because you can't monetize uncertainty. I think this conversation has been so wonderful because it's unlocking a certain thing in my brain about how I think about this. And I think one thing I've realized about why I find this dichotomy to be a little bit of a frustrating one between like highly systematized and folk magic in certain ways, and kind of even going to how Howard was sort of explaining people trying to understand natural phenomena, is it sets up science and learning and kind of civilization almost as opposed to magical thinking and understanding and folk logic, when in fact, I think they coexist beautifully, right? I mean, also, science is becoming more and more magical thing. Like, you spend 30 seconds about quantum mechanics, and you were in magic land at that point, as far as I'm concerned. Yes. But, I, I know, just need GPS. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, there, but I think folk or magical thinking, dream logic can exist in a way that doesn't negate that this is how the storm works. This is why the moss grows here. It can both be there are magical reasons for that, there are spiritual reasons for that that are important to us as a community, as a culture, and also water flows this way, storms work this way for reasons, right? And so I think when you have that in a story— and when you're making your magic highly rigorous and systematized in a very Dungeons and Dragons way, you're telling a story that is more science fictional about systems, about extraction, about society in a certain perspective. And when it's more dream logic, folk magic, more numinous in that way, it is more about character growth and development and personal experience, right? Mm. And it's sort of the scale of the lens. <laughs> keep I, going. I'm making a very broad generalization <laughs> yeah, here for sure. I, I yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely, absolutely. I'm. I'm you know, obviously I'm down for that. But like, you know, I think there's a reason why I think we tend to see one magic system in one type of story, very broadly speaking, and a little bit more um, of a certain kind of uh, uh, logic and character growth in a different kind of story. So the but reason yeah, I made, I'm like, yeah, yeah, the glamorous histories are totally about uh, exploitation. I mean, I'm, I'm like, I, I, I write 
high, like glamorous histories are highly systematized, and you're telling me they're not about character. No, I'm not <laughs> saying that, I'm not saying they're not about character. What I am saying is that the glamorous histories are also very concerned with societal questions of how society is structured and okay. oriented in the way that Jane Austen's books are. Yeah. Right, her books yeah. are as much a critique of uh, money and power and social dynamics as they are personal character-driven romance stories. Fair, fair. I'm not saying that these are mutually exclusive categories. Okay. I'm saying scale of lens kind of comes into play. And I yeah. do think the glamorous history books have a lot to say about the world in well, a very broad lens way. Well, one of the things, like, and one of the things that I actually do use the magic system, specifically use magic system for is that in, in book five is that you know, Jane and Vincent have grown up with this very systematized, very mm-hmm. European, and then they are encountering people who use glamour but have been trained, mm-hmm. who've, who've grown up Igbo, um, and, and come at it from a different way. And they've been told, oh, not, no, that doesn't work that way. That's not how glamour works. They've been, like, they have been treated as if the way they use magic is folk, is, yeah. is not real, even though they're using exactly the same tools. Yeah. But it's just... The language that they used to to, to talk about it has been um, uh, poo-pooed. <laughs> one thing I love about this conversation, and one thing that you can tell would keep wandering into like slightly prickly corners of this conversation, mm-hmm. is because so many different valences have been attached to these terms, right? Yeah. So even me talking about a more systemized versus character-driven way sounded like I was making a value judgment between commercial and literary in some mm-hmm. way or something mm-hmm. along those lines. And I I wasn't doing that, but it comes off that way. Yeah. You know what I mean? When we talk about like Western versus non-Western, you know, like hierarchical versus non like there's all these like cultural judgments that get caught up in this. And I think that is part of what makes this conversation yeah. so energetic and fascinating. Um, and being live to those assumptions about what is better writing, what is better fiction, how should magic work? Should it be smart or not, <laughs> right? Like, y- y- there's a valence in that too, right? And yeah. I don't know, I love it. This is a super fun conversation for me. And I actually, like, one of the reasons that I had fun with smart, other than, you know, this is what I do when I sit in my house, is that... <laughs> <laughs> um, my cat's used to it. Is that, like, <laughs> is thinking about ways in which you can separate letters that seem like they would go well together. Mm. So specific and measurable feel like, okay, that's your systematized versus your sort of generalized, mm-hmm. like, uncontrolled yeah. But what happens if you have something that's both specific but uncontrollable yeah. or highly measurable but very general? Like what happens when we play with, um, get rid of the idea that we're actually talking about it either has to be X or Y and figure out what's the Z that lives between yeah. and has this. elements of both? Yeah. Yeah, I really love this. What a great system. Yeah, just thinking about that as a set of sliders that you can push back and forth. Oh, it's very yummy. It makes me want to, like, map every piece of fiction I love to that system right? now. Yeah. The, the readerly can of worms here is when, when, someone, when someone reads one of these, you know, speculative fiction pieces, however the magic was, however the characters were, what is the piece that they come away from and tell you, oh, I have got to tell you about this book. It's so cool because the magic does, and then they tell you all about the magic, versus them saying— Oh, I love this because these characters do. For me as a writer, whatever it is that gets me excited about it is, is that is the important piece. And I hope that's what the reader comes away with. But as often as not, I'm just wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, this has been such a fun conversation. Uh, but to think about smart in a different way, now we have some homework for you. 
So your homework is to write a scene that brings <laughs> write a scene that brings an element of magic into a mundane place that you know well. The grocery store, the bank, etc. Try to make it impactful without explaining how it all works. This has been writing excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. Do you like stars? I do. Maybe you'd like to put up a constellation of stars by rating us on Apple Podcasts. Hello. Yes, we're talking about ratings, not astronomy. But a five-star review can help us by creating a navigational beacon for new writers like you to find their way to writing excuses. So rate us on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. For this episode, your hosts were Mary Robinette Kowal, Dong Wan Song, Aaron Roberts, and Howard Taylor. This episode was engineered by Marshall Carr Jr., mastered by Alex Jackson, and produced by Emma Reynolds. For more information, visit writingexcuses.com. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.